Well, being Labor Day weekend, I wasn't sure how many folks were going to be here this morning. Uh, so it's, wow, we got a lot of folks again here. It's great to see uh, each and every one of you here this morning. Um, I've noticed also that more and more of you are bringing your Bibles to worship, which is awesome. And uh, if you've got your uh, Bible this morning or your phone um, and the Bible app on your phone, uh, I'm going to invite you to go to Mark 9. Um, we're going to get there in just a little bit, uh, not quite uh, immediately. I want to kind of set this up a little bit, but we're Mark 9, uh, beginning with verse 14. You can go ahead and just put your uh, finger there or something, and then uh, uh, we'll get there in just a moment. So let us pray. Oh God, on this beautiful day that you've given to us, we thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you meet us in all seasons of our lives and in this season of worshiping you. God, we pray that you would continue to dwell among us this morning, that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us, encourage us, and that, God, you would challenge us. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. If you've been coming to Faith Lutheran Church over the past few weeks, uh, you know that we have been going through a discipleship sermon series, and, and we've been asking ourselves the question, what does it mean as people who study and follow Jesus' life? What does it mean for us? What does it mean individually, as a community, as followers of Jesus? How do we do this discipleship thing, this thing of following after Jesus? How do we follow his word in God's holy word? How do we do these things? How do we lean into what Jesus has called us to be about? And that's to follow him in all areas of our lives. And this morning we're going to conclude uh, the sermon series and we're going to talk a little bit about the reality of doubt for a disciple. What does it mean to doubt, and how do we doubt even as we are faithful and follow Jesus through all of our lives? You know, as I think about uh, if there was ever a week to wonder, to doubt the very presence of God in this world, maybe this was the week, I don't know. But there were lots of images, lots of stories of devastation and destruction in Texas. And we watch all these things and we ask ourselves, God, how could this happen? How could you have allowed so much destruction? Hurricane Harvey has taken over 50 lives. Hurricane Harvey has displaced tens of thousands of people. Hurricane Harvey has impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. Hundreds of thousands of homes and automobiles destroyed. Hurricane Harvey has done so much. And as we've watched the images and heard the stories, we've wondered, God, why? Why do things like this happen? And I think that doubt is very much a part of our week, if you were look, tuning in. They're saying this could be the most costly disaster, upwards of $100 billion. 
And if the estimates are right, most of these folks aren't covered by flood insurance. This morning, as we've gathered for worship, there's a whole nother group of people gathering in Texas facing the reality of what has impacted them so significantly. We live in reality, don't we? Reality is that place where we live. And most of the time, reality is not fun. Reality is not exciting. Oftentimes, reality is very inconvenient and sometimes downright irritating and frustrating. Even in the midst of the good things that happen in life. Now, I think about, just for example, nobody loves Thanksgiving meal more than me. You gather with loved ones around lots and lots of food. And at the end of a Thanksgiving meal, reality. You got to clean up the dishes, scrape the plates, wash the dishes, put them away. That's reality, right? Or I think about some of you who go to school. Isn't graduating from school such an exciting thing? I mean, you spent all that time writing papers and reading and studying. And at the end of it all, you put on a gown. You throw your cap up in the air. And you celebrate. You have a party. But then there's a reality. You got to get a job. Or maybe you go away on vacation. And isn't it great going on vacation? It's so much fun to go to a fun, exciting place. But then you get back home and guess what? Reality. Cleaning the house. Doing laundry. That stack of emails that you have to follow up on. Last night I did a, a wedding uh, here at Lakeside Country Club. And pretty soon the bride and groom are going away on a honeymoon. Aren't honeymoons awesome? Until you get back to reality. And he's still there. She's still there. <laughs> and the reality of building your lives together. It's wonderful. But it's real, isn't it? We face so much reality. Maybe some of you remember that amazing moment when you held that child for the first time and you were overwhelmed with awe and wonder and joy and excitement. And then there was the reality of changing diapers and paying endless bills for all sorts of things. The reality of raising kids. Or maybe you were really excited to buy that home, that house. And then you moved in and realized the reality of cleaning and maintenance and all those other things. We live in reality, don't we? And this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about the reality of doubt. Even as Christ followers, that is how we spend much of our time following Jesus. The story we're going to read about this morning comes from Mark 9. And I want to set this up for you a little bit. The disciples have been following Jesus for at least two years, maybe even longer. They are no longer rookies. 
They are veterans. And they have not just been showing up and watching Jesus do stuff. They are fully partners in ministry with Jesus. They've been walking alongside him. They were there when he did the miracles and the teaching. And they're helping him day in and day out. They're very experienced followers of Jesus. And I think that's some of you. That's your story. You've been following Jesus for a long time. You've been a disciple of Jesus for a long time. And so we pick it up this morning. Mark 9, beginning with verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to him to greet him. What are you arguing about all about? He asked. A man of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. On that day, the disciples had met their match. They could do most things in ministry, but on that day, they were simply unable, and the crowd had grown restless, irritated, and frustrated with the disciples. And so the man came to Jesus and said, what's wrong with your disciples? I think just as we get into this story, one of the first lessons we learn early on is that no matter how long you have been following Jesus, the discipleship journey doesn't necessarily get any easier. Some of us sometimes assume that our hardest, most difficult days of following Jesus are early on. And the longer we become a Christian, the longer we become a Christ follower, the easy things get, the easier things become because, well, we just get more and more faith, right? And we become stronger. And pretty soon when we've been following Jesus for quite some time, everything just becomes easy. But the reality is, the longer we follow Jesus, the more difficult it oftentimes is to become a follower of Jesus. If you think today is hard following Jesus, wait till tomorrow. It might be more difficult. And certainly, clearly, that's what the disciples have experienced. Things weren't getting easier. Things were getting more difficult. So Jesus says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus does in the story what he oftentimes does in our own lives when we try to take matters into our own hands. He looks us in the eye. He doesn't get angry with us. He's just sad. He looks us in the eye and says, you're trying to do it yourself again. How long am I going to have to put up with you? And he laments. The disciples 
and he laments when we try to do the same thing in our own lives. We try to do these things ourselves. Jesus comes. He picks up the pieces and says, let me take care of it. Bring me the boy. So they brought him. When the spirit of Jesus uh, saw, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, "How long has he been like this?" "From childhood," he answered. "It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him." But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors... His disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. And clearly, it's a prayer. It's a pretty remarkable prayer. And Jesus doesn't explain what that prayer is. But I think it's an interesting interaction between Jesus and and this father, as they're talking about what it means to have faith. I believe! Help me in my unbelief. I think as disciples, as Christ followers, that's often our prayer, isn't it? It's often our statement of faith. God, I believe. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. I think it's one of the most honest prayers in all of Scripture. I believe, and yet I struggle to believe. That's our prayer. Oftentimes, if we're really honest, we go through life, even as Christ followers, and we doubt the existence of God. Is God even there? And if we don't doubt the existence of God, we doubt that God knows us. I wonder if God knows me. And even if we know and have confidence that God knows us, we doubt that God even cares. Sometimes we think of God as a judge who's far off. And when things get really bad in our lives, we think God is just messing with us. God is messing with our lives and we are so confused and we don't understand. And of course we doubt when bad things happen. We get frustrated and we struggle. And I think about that movie, Bruce Almighty. 
Jim Carrey, in that moment of great struggle and wonder, shakes his fists in God, at God and says, Smite me, almighty smiter! Isn't that an honest prayer? It's how we feel. Smite me, almighty smiter. Why have all these horrible, rotten things happened in our lives? When things go wrong, we oftentimes blame God, don't we? Either consciously or unconsciously. Day in and day out. God, why have you done this to me? You know, this past week, maybe you've empathized a little bit with the events that have gone on in Texas. Because maybe once upon a time, you too have experienced a natural disaster. Anybody in here experienced flooding, tornado, hurricane, earthquake, anybody? I've been through several tornadoes. I've experienced flooding. I've been in an earthquake. No hurricanes yet. But as we watch these events, we think about our own lives and the reality of having to put our lives back in order. Now, the interesting thing is, um, Cindy and I have owned four houses and probably about, I don't know, 10, 12 cars. And we've been through a number of different natural disasters. And we have never filed an insurance claim. We usually carry a pretty high deductible. And usually the damage has been fairly minimal. And so we've just never filed a claim. Now maybe some of you remember the hail and the tornado that came through here in November of 2013. Did a lot of damage in Washington. Remember that storm? I was in worship and we evacuated that morning. I didn't think a whole lot about it, I have to tell you. But in the spring, I noticed that many of the houses around our house in the neighborhood People were getting new roofs put on their houses because of hail damage. And so I thought, well, I just wonder. I've never filed an insurance claim before. So I called up my insurance company, an adjuster came out, went up on the roof, and miraculously, all the neighbors around us were getting new roofs because they had hail damage. And our roof, according to the adjuster, was just fine. Now, I was a little bit irritated. <laughs> but I got to tell you, one of the things that really kind of what I remember about that incident was looking at that insurance claim and how they speak in the insurance claim of natural disasters, of these horrific events, hurricanes, tornadoes, hail, destruction, floods, famine. And it says in the insurance paperwork, these are all... Oh, you filled out the insurance paperwork too, right? I thought, this is really interesting. These horrible things that happen to us, who do we blame? We blame God. And I would imagine there might be some people in this worship space this morning, you've reflected on this language far longer than I have, right? And you've asked yourself, why is it that we call these horrible things acts of God? And I don't know the answer. But I can't help but wonder, 
if these acts of God, as they're called, are nothing more than a reflection of how we feel, of how we struggle when bad things happen in our lives, must be an act of God. Smite me, almighty smiter. That's how we view things when difficult things happen. I want to conclude this morning just acknowledging the reality of how easy it is and how often we just acknowledge before God that we're struggling. In the midst of our struggle, we cry out to God and say, God, why is this happening? I have so much doubt. You know, as I think about doubt in our lives as Christ followers, I think that oftentimes we think that doubt lives over here and that faith lives over here. And doubt is an absence of faith. There may be some truth to that, but I think oftentimes doubt and faith coexist at the very same time. We see this in Scripture over and over as we follow Jesus and the disciples and how oftentimes the disciples would say, we believe, we don't understand. We get it, Jesus. Help us to understand, Jesus. And I think about even after Jesus was raised from the dead, there's this great story in Matthew 28. It's the very end after Jesus is risen from the grave. He's come to the disciples. We don't know exactly how many times, maybe 10, 12, 15 times. He's shown them all sorts of evidence, examples of his resurrection. He says, touch my hands, feel. Feel where they put in the nails. Jesus sat down and he ate a meal with them. He said, hey, this fish is great. He says, I'm not a ghost. I'm alive. And Jesus would walk through locked doors and all of a sudden he would just show up and he showed up time and time and time again after the resurrection. And he would walk in and have all these encounters with the disciples. And we think to ourselves, how in the world? You know, they got to have so much evidence of Jesus, those early disciples. No wonder they believed. But just before Jesus rose in Matthew 28 we read these words when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted see oftentimes we fool ourselves into thinking you know if I just had a little bit more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus I wouldn't doubt We fool ourselves thinking that, right? I think some of us even think, you know what? If somebody, we were to go out on the street this morning, if we were to witness an accident and somebody's hand in in an accident out there got cut off and the arm is just laying out there on the street in a car accident, if we were to walk up and say, be healed, and the arm jumped up, put itself back on the hand, and the person's hand became perfectly healed, we'd say, then I'd believe, right? Can we all agree that we would believe if that hand just jumped right back up on the arm? 
right? Jesus said, I did that. And yet some still doubted. I think we're kidding ourselves if we think if we had just a little bit more evidence, we'd stop doubting. I think the reality is that doubt will always be a part of the Christian experience. As long as we're on this earth, we're going to get, we're going to be doubting, and we need to just get used to it. I'm not sure that we need to be comfortable with it, but we need to acknowledge that doubt is part of the Christian journey. There is no amount of evidence that will completely get rid of our doubt. It's always going to live with our faith, just as it did with the disciples. If you've come to Faith Lutheran Church this morning with a few doubts, anybody, a few doubts this morning, you're in the right place. Because this is a church that we don't push doubt off to the side and say, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I have no trouble with doubt. This is a church where we say, I struggle with doubt. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And so this morning, I want you to hear these words. These words that were spoken so long ago, but spoken for us today. Everything is possible for one who believes. So I don't know what your doubts are this morning, but Jesus invites us, even in the midst of our doubts, to be reminded of that promise that everything is possible for those of us who believe. Let us pray. Oh God, we, we are grateful that when we doubt, you don't condemn us, you don't judge us, you don't walk away from us. The Lord, you come running to us. You pick up the pieces and help us move on. Lord, help us to surrender our lives again this day to you, acknowledging that much like the disciples, we try to do too much ourselves. And Lord, really, we need to be about letting go and allowing you to live in our lives. And Lord, I know that none of us will ever get too comfortable with doubt. Help us, Lord, to view doubt as a way to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, thank you for the example of the disciples and all those throughout time in history that have wrestled with what it means to have faith in doubt. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship you today, remind us always that you are with us and all around us, even in the midst of our doubt. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>